Hello everybody and welcome to the Premier League Nightclub Podcast. My name is Damon and with me, of course, as usual, I have the Woodra. Woody, episode 39, our second or third episode during mm-hmm. isolation. How, how are you going? How are you dealing with it all? Mate, I'm struggling with isolation. I'm not going to lie. I, my, my life just ro- rolls around studying the podcast and Xbox. So, like, realistically, <laughs> it's a bit of a dream lifestyle, but... You know, you just, you just got to break the cycle every now and then. And, and I'm finding it really difficult. I'm trying to get out, but even still, like, just even just going for exercise at the park and stuff, it just, oh, it's not the same. It's just not the same. I find little things are really annoying me more than they do usually. So, like, for example, with haircuts, yeah, I'm not exactly the person who goes and gets a haircut as often as you, as you should if you want to keep up hmm. uh, a good short haircut. But usually it doesn't really bother me. Now, I wake up in the morning and, like, the first thing I think about is how annoying my hair is. And you know me. I've had long hair for a long time. I mean, originally, I had long hair on the uh, podcast graphic. But now I've got short hair and, and it annoys me. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. it just I'm thinking about it because I've got so much time to think about it. But, um, yeah, no, the footballing world, yet again, doesn't have a lot for us to discuss. But we are doing episode 39 for one big reason, aren't we, Woodrow? We are. It's our second part of the Aussies Uncovered segment. We are talking all about, and to, uh, Tyrese Francois, the young man from Fulham. He's only 19, Damo. He, it's, it's weird talking to people, or talking to guys that are younger than us, but infinitely more successful <laughs> to where they are compared to where we were. <laughs> No, yeah, we were talking to him as our as our second Aussies uncovered, and, and we're we're pretty excited. It, it's going to be good, and it's going to be really interesting to see how it differs from John Ardell. Obviously, he had different paths, but similar in other ways. So you know, it'll be interesting to see how they answer questions, whether they be the same or whether they be slightly different. Of course, a few other things happening in the football world that we do want to touch on a little bit, and something that happened. Uh, which were about two weeks ago, but we somewhat <laughs> just forgot to talk about it. And I think given the style of show we run here at the nightclub, it's pretty surprising that this didn't cop a mention. So would you tell tell everybody, even though everybody already knows what happened, <laughs> tell us about it. <laughs> Mate, I agree with you. Bloody hell, who knows how we didn't talk about this, but it's Kyle Walker hosting a sex party with a couple of hookers and one of his <laughs> old mates just a day um, before, just the day after urging fans to stay at home for the coronavirus lockdown on his Twitter um, and Insta as well. Fire out, mate. It's just, first the Jack Grealish thing and then a week later this happens. It's just, oh, some footballers are so dumb. I reckon all the blood is in their feet or I don't even know, mate. It's just, oh, I, I just can't believe it. But it's pretty funny on the other hand as well. Mate, from a footballing perspective, we spoke about Jack Grealish, obviously, as you said, a couple of weeks ago and how his England career might be up in there a little bit. But obviously, he's got time to make amends. Kyle Walker is probably coming towards the end of his career internationally, at least. He's competing against the likes of Juan Bissaka, Trippier, and, of course, Trent Alexander-Arnold in that right-back position. It's going to be really tough for him to earn the respect back internationally, at least, I would have thought. Oh, I, I think 
for sure. Even before this, I'd say his international career for England is probably done. I think you know he's not he's not in the top three English fullbacks at the moment. And of course, as we know, English fullbacks are probably this is probably the best we've seen them for the last ten years. Um, I mean, it seems like every team these days has has an English fullback um, that is doing are having great seasons. But fire out, yeah, he's he's not going to recover from this. But you know what? Against popular opinion, good on him. You know, he's get, getting a bit, get, getting a bit as well in in isolation. You know, he's been fine. Mate, it's just he's such a strange way to go about it, though. What you mean? He, I mean, he's not that he's not that bad a looking bloke. Surely you can. Surely he doesn't have to pay for it. That's exactly what I'm saying. Like, why why is he taking this route? Like, maybe his mates just not bringing much to the table. So he decided to help him out and thought, why why not get involved myself? I have no idea what the thinking is, but. Speaking of not knowing what you're talking about, not knowing what the thinking is, Woody, uh, honestly, I woke up, I think it was two Saturdays ago, <laughs> pleading that the weather would hit 17 degrees <laughs> in regards to Damo's dollars. And I can say that it did. Damo's dollars got two out of four correct, <laughs> and one was the weather in Melbourne on Saturday afternoon. Oh, gee, mate, I don't know how we even went through that bet. It was just, I was absolutely outrageous. I'm going to go find it as well because God knows how you pulled this sort of thing off. And I've got it up here. Just to recap, it was the Nicaraguan under-20s league. Um, Durangian under-20 versus CD Walter Ferretti win. I, uh, I got that one wrong. Yep, that one was wrong, I think. The Belarusian league. Uh, Vitebsk versus SFC Smlovici STI draw. Um, and then I think I got that one wrong sticking as well. in the Belarusian league, it was Dynamo Minsk versus the Torp- Torpedo Belaz. And to finish it off, it was the weather um, to be above the line, no matter what the line was, 11 a.m. Saturday, which was $1.90. We were in for, tw- <laughs> we were in for 20 bucks to win 292 at the end of the fourth leg. And Damo, we did not come away with the dollary dos yet again. Uh, look, it was, a, it was a tough contest, tough day at the office for, for the followers of Damo's Dollars. We'll bounce back stronger. We really do need some football that we have knowledge about to be, you know, to start up again. I think Damo's Dollars might be put on hold until the return of English football because Mate, a, I don't want to be guessing for, for my fans anymore. It wasn't the right thing to do last you time. You are a shithouse punter, I'm not going to lie. Uh, for someone who has backed themselves so hard and been a serious horse addict as well, you have done nothing but deliver <laughs> fails up to the table for, for all our listeners. I, literally, we we're probably preparing for some legal notice, um, legal notices to come in saying how much money you've lost, people. Uh, like I wouldn't be surprised, and that's coming out of your pocket, not mine. Mate, can I just say, look, all right, first up, put my hand up and say I'm not. I can't really defend the results that I've been getting. They've been poor. I'll address it and get and you know start improving. But at the same time. Let's just remember some of the things that haven't gone my way. Like, all right, even when I've gotten like one out of four, you know, a few things change and suddenly it's a three out of four or a four out of four. Can like, I, can I just it's just the you? way of the punt. Can I just jump in here? This is the first time you've ever got more than one than four. One, one out of four. <laughs> and that's why I brought it up instead of waiting for you to bring it up. <laughs> oh, geez. That's it's pretty stiff, mate. It's pretty horrible for you. I'm not going to lie. I am not going to lie. Uh, you're almost as bad as punting as you are. Um, at, at getting a, a bit like Kyle Walker, actually. If if I was, if you you sound like Kyle Walker's mate, the one that brings nothing to the table going out. That's mate, you. Jesus, how is this turned personal? I'm just having a bit of banter about my multis. You start abusing me about what I'm bringing to the table. Settle down, <laughs> Jay Wiz. 
Mate, the long hair's doing nothing at the club. Long hair's doing nothing. <laughs> <laughs> no one here thinking Alrighty, about haircuts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Alrighty, Woodruff. Let's um move along to a massive, massive talking point. Let's get stuck into some serious stuff. And we posted it on the Instagram midweek. We were actually one of the first to break it, other than the news sources we got it from, Woodruff. So well done on that on the Instagram. Cheers, mate. Uh, the Newcastle United takeover. This is clearly the biggest story of this unprecedented off-season. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, during the week, like, there have been plenty of rumours, I think, since uh, early Jan, early, maybe maybe early to late Jan, um, about what's happening on with Newcastle as well. Obviously, we saw a failed bid come in last year from um, a Saudi investment group. However, now uh, a huge, I think, 360-page document has been released um, over a possible takeover of the Premier League um, side. Of course, that is Newcastle United. Uh, Mike actually seems to be finally giving into the Saudi Arabian investment group, uh, and hopefully that goes through for Newcastle United fans. And obviously our man Steve Wraith, who we had on a few weeks ago, hopefully he'll be a lot happier now that 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 uh, future's looking bright or brighter for Newcastle. Yeah, I must say we should probably get um, Steve Wraith back on if this goes fully through. It'd be interesting to see or hear his thoughts. But just to summarise it, I've got a little quote here. The, the public investment fund for the, from the Saudis would own 80% of the club in the proposed deal, um, 10% to the Stavely's PCP Capital, and that's the same group that actually organized the Manchester City takeover, and 10% to the Rubin brothers who are successful billionaires in their own regards. So, you know, it is a little bit of a shared ownership, but this isn't, un, this isn't unprecedented in terms of this is quite are common for Premier League clubs to be owned majority by one party, but the funds are, you know, distributed across the board. So 80% to the Saudis public investment fund. And this is really game changing for the Premier League, Woody. I think we've spoken about how there's a big six and how Leicester are coming in. And of course, Wolves have actually spent a lot more money than people might realize. But I think if this goes through, I I saw recently, I believe it might have been one of the Neville brothers say that Newcastle would be pushing for a Premier League title within the next four seasons if this deal were to go through in time for the start of the next season. And you can't help but somewhat agree. If you look at what Man City were able to achieve in about five years, it took them to win the league. So this is game changing for the Premier League and world football, to be honest. Yeah, I see what you mean. I think I think the next thing for Newcastle above and beyond um, investing in their in their footballing personnel would be investing probably in their stadium as well. Um, you know, if you can get a world class stadium, then you're going to attract world class players, and obviously they have a world class supporter base as is as we know as well. Um, but however, this sale probably wouldn't have come. Uh, I guess if the if coronavirus didn't come about, so silver lining a lot for the for the Magpies um, in that the the asking price did come down to three hundred mil um, due to the coronavirus issue, and obviously the Premier League taking a huge hit with a lot of teams having to pay back broadcasting rights and pay back um, advertising rights as well. But you know, uh, you just sort of have to wonder from a, from a Newcastle point of view, you know. Is uh, there's been a lot of questions, and obviously the Neville brothers have said um, a lot, uh, and obviously every pundit has really said a lot. But in terms of uh, foreign investment into the Premier League, it's it has its ups and it has its downs as well. We've seen plenty of fails and plenty of successes, but hopefully this is a situation where 
the the foreign investment benefits the club and benefits the league as a whole. Yeah, well, we've seen, Woody, you touched on stadiums. Not every club has benefited from a, a rebuilt stadium. Obviously, we're yet to see what happens with Tottenham. We know they haven't had the greatest of seasons, but I think you've got to give them a little bit of time. But I look at a West Ham, they've really struggled since moving, and you remember how good they were just before they left. They were pushing for European football. So, you know, things can turn badly very quickly, and a lot of the time, a new stadium is a factor in these changes in momentum or changes in fortune. So I think Newcastle will want to be incredibly careful with the way they approach it. I do agree St. James's Park could get a new look, but at the same time, I think the Saudis, if they do take over, will have to look at the way Manchester City went about it. But I can't. you've got to remember that this is a club that already has the really, really strong foundations prior. Manchester City were probably not in the position Newcastle were in, if that makes any sense, Woody. <clears throat> yeah, I completely agree. And, and if the turnover is going to start, it starts at the head. Um, and that's exactly what's happening now. If Mike actually was to go through the, with this sale, and hopefully he's just not baiting Newcastle fans um, like he has in the past as well. I mean, that would be an absolute kick in the guts for all the Newcastle supporters. But Damo, I, given all this, you know, I, I just sort of want to touch on Mike Ashley's time. And I know it's something that you would really like to touch on as well because he's had a pretty fabled time at Newcastle, hasn't he? Yeah, I think we've spoken about Mike Ashley a heap on this podcast. And, you know, hopefully we don't have to talk about him too much more. But it is worth noting that, like, this story of Mike Ashley's 12 years or 12 or 13 years at Newcastle, it's been, I wouldn't say disastrous, but it hasn't been successful. And I think this this was the last straw. Mike Ashley, as you said, Woody, has cut about $60 million off the asking price, a lot to do with the coronavirus, but it really has been on the cards for some time. He uh, About a year after a year of owning Newcastle back in 2008, he tried to sell the club. Uh, it, and I think when he sacked Kevin Keegan about 10 or 11 years ago, the fans never really forgave him for it, or at least never forgot about it. And just little things even more recently, of course, we spoke about how he tried to keep Sports Direct open uh, at the start of this whole coronavirus. And it's just, again, really move. bad look. Yeah, really poor move. And it's it's not smart for the health of people, but also not smart for his image. And you just have to wonder if what the people around him are doing and giving him the wrong advice. And, of course, the most recent one was he's laid off all the non-playing Newcastle staff and put them on the government-paid scheme. And it's just... You know, when you think about other organisations that are going to need that money compared to Newcastle United Football Club, it's really disgraceful and distasteful. So I think all that considered, this is probably, although people are obviously going to put question marks up about the morals behind the Saudi takeover, morals, I should say, behind the Saudi takeover, it is worth noting that Mike Ashley's time in England hasn't exactly been the most smoothest ride over the time. Yeah, and I think that's actually a good point you bring up about Mike Ashley's reputation because obviously it's probably been tarnished for the last eight to nine years, really. Um, it, it sort of failed a couple of years as soon as he, he bought the club. But then if you look back to what Steve Wraith said when we interviewed him a few weeks ago, he said that at the end of the day, Mike Ashley is a businessman. And so for him, the primary objective was to make money out of Newcastle, not to see the success of the club. So with every game, obviously supporters still rock up, the club still makes money. And without that boycott and without that, I guess, unified um, 
goal to, to boycott the club. You know, Newcastle was still making money and hence why Mike Ashley is still here 12 years later. Um, so I think that's a really good point. And now, it, it, unfortunately, the virus has allowed, um, I guess, disallowed Ashley to be a successful businessman that he strives to be uh, with Newcastle. So that's probably what has paved the way. But yeah, I think Steve Wraith really probably summarized Mike Ashley's time um, really well when he came on. And yeah, unfortunately, business as usual is not going to resume. And that's that's it's gonna at the end of the day, it's going to benefit, benefit the Magpies, really. Exactly. And it's going to be really interesting to see how this all plays out. And of course, we'll keep talking about it the long, longer it goes on, or at least once it's finished and taken over. And of course, if you anyone wants to listen to that Steve Wraith episode, just have a look. It's Steve Wraith special. You can't miss it. To uh, believe episode thirty six, mm-hmm. Woody. So it's got anyone his, wanting to have a listen to that, make sure you go over. And listen. it's got his big bald right. head on the episode as well. So you will find yeah. it. <laughs> of course. All right, Woody. You really were keen on talking about one thing before we get stuck into the big, big interview. Oh, here we go. And that was the current situation. You know, coronavirus is affecting everything but there was one thing that caught your eye regarding fifa and the contract situation with players oh yeah completely and i was just having a read um earlier this week and i realized that i think 166 premier league players on first team squads are coming out of contract come june this year and it really sparked my interest because if fifa announced during the week that contracts due to expire um at the original end date of the season should be and are encouraged to be extended to the new end date and deals uh, due to start next season should be back to what the new start date is. And it really it caught my eye because it just shows there's so much ambiguity regarding contract situation and we might be in a situation where we see players coming out of a contract come June 30 and then finishing off the season the last maybe uh, you know, five or six rounds, however many it gets to, um, with another team, which was something, which will be something that we have never seen before. I think it. Well, we haven't seen a lot of this before, and it's it's just another development in this crazy, crazy time. And again, we really don't know what's going to happen. Woody, on your just your own personal hunch, what do you see happening? Not so much for these players coming back or players playing for different clubs, but do you see any football being played prior to June 30? And if so, how much? Um, uh, personally, obviously, it depends what the world situation is, but I think that you know, if England keep going at the way that they are going, hopefully we will see some football played post-June 30, and I really pray that we do. I think if it is going to be played, it's going to be in isolation, as a lot of codes around the world have done. Um, in, in their dwindling weeks before the shutdown. Um, I, I do see it, but I think obviously a, a lot more of the revenue comes from stadium and ticket sales than I guess maybe a lot of other sports do. So it might be hard to carry on and there might have to be some sub- subsidies for clubs. Um, uh, hopefully it does, but I think it, it, how that relates to the contract situation as well is that I think that clubs are really, unless there is a legal... Um, you know, uh, some sort of legislation that comes in regarding contracts that, you know, clubs are at their own will are able to get rid of players or keep players depending on um, what they deem their contract status to be. So I think at the end of this, we'll see a lot of legal battles. I think it's going to get pretty ugly for those that have their, don't have their contracts renewed um, out of their own will and the club enforces it come June 30 and especially if football, you know, isn't played after June 30 as well. 
Mate, I just had a look at some of these names whilst you were rambling on then, and I must say, there are some decent names. Of course, Willian's contract's been talked about quite a lot, and I think at this stage, he has no intention of staying with Chelsea, so that's one. Uh, I look at Tottenham, Vertonghen, Tanganga. They've got a few that they might want to have a look at, especially Tanganga, young quality player. They wouldn't want to lose him. And then you've got guys like Ryan Fraser, Nathaniel Klein, Christian Fuchs, like these guys who are really, really useful players for the likes of, you know, Leicester City, Bournemouth and so on. These guys need, for, from the club's perspective, they need them and they might need them to stay up. And if they end up going to a rival, if you look at, say, for example, an Aston Villa might be in a better financial position to take on a Ryan Fraser and then Bournemouth end up getting relegated post-June 30. That's just, it would be uh, an incredible scene of a series of events that would have to take place for that to happen. But it, it, it's looking like it is a possibility. Yeah, it is. And it's, it's actually pretty funny when you look at it because a lot of these players who, uh, you know, would have probably left come the end of the season might now be in a position where they're going to get a bigger contract in an extra three months. So that, this might actually benefit a lot of players because they might get an extra one or two years out of a, a, a three-month expiring contract. So who knows what's going to happen, especially with loan deals as well. No one knows really what's going to happen yet. It's going to be nuts. And I'm again, similar to the Newcastle situation, it's going to be really interesting to keep an eye on. But Woody, should we get you know, start steering our way to the reason the people have clicked play on this particular pod. Oh, please, let's do it, because we've been, we've been talking out of our ass for a good 20, 20 minutes now. And I think uh, the best thing for us to do is to get straight stuck into this interview. It is, of course, Tyrese Francois with part two of our Aussies Uncovered. Yeah, I must say, Woody, before we get stuck into it, logistically behind the scenes, behind the microphone, this has been one of the more difficult ones to get going. So in anticipation, we will do our very best to, you know, keep the keep the conversation flowing. But we got to remember, we are talking to someone halfway across the world. So if there's any uh, little issues, sound quality issues, we do apologize, but we're going to give it our best shot, aren't we, Woodrow? We are. And with that being said, let's head straight into the call as well. Alrighty, so on the line we have Tyrese Francois. Nice to finally have you on after some a few issues as well, um, and it's been a, it's been a while chatting to you as well on Insta. So good to have you on the other side of the mic. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. Alrighty, so so uh, obviously the world is stuck in isolation at the moment. How is isolating isolation treating you? Um, not too bad to be honest. Um, it was, it's a bit boring, obviously. Um, only being allowed out once a day exercise um and obviously the main factor is not being able to play football um mm-hmm. but i guess things are bigger than football so um i could be in the worst place right now so not too bad guys do you do you ever well like we spoke to john a couple of weeks ago john iredale and he said that obviously his club had set out procedures and things he had to maintain whilst in isolation have you got sort of a similar program from fulham yeah um so we've got like a quite a strict program, um, which involves obviously leaving the house um, once a day to do like the fitness side, which is like runs or um, they also gave mm-hmm. us a a what bike, so like an exercise bike. So oh. um, they usually want us to do that in the afternoon, and they hold like um, like a group Zoom call, 
where we're all on the bike together. So um, they've been in touch well and they've given us some good programs. So I guess yeah. no one knows what's going to happen with the season, if it's going to continue halfway through. So um, they want us to be as fit as possible. When we yeah, return. for sure. For sure. Um, have you been getting up to any, any FIFA at all? or? FIFA, yeah. Um, so I've got my two brothers here. So yeah. um, it gets pretty competitive for FIFA around the house. <laughs> um, so, yeah, no, we do play a lot of FIFA. Yeah. Um, well, just touching on FIFA as well, you actually do have a FIFA card. Um, it is 55 rated. And do you by any chance, if you, if you ever get on career mode, do you ever play with your play with yourself or, or stick yourself during training drills or anything like that? No. Um, if I if I do play FIFA against like, for example, my dad, he's not the best. Um, I'd put, I'd be pulling <laughs> and put myself I'd put myself in. So, um, nice. but no, I don't I don't play career mode. So, no, nah, fair enough. Who, who's your, who's your go-to team when you're playing matchups? Uh, at the moment, it's Arsenal. What? Just because, because of the front three. <laughs> yeah. And they're clinical, so I've I've had like a lot of joy with um, Arsenal lately. Do you support a specific Premier League team? Obviously now you follow Fulham, but through through your childhood, did you have a Premier League club? Yeah, growing up I was a huge um, Man United fan. Um, of course. Until until I moved to Fulham and then Fulham were in the Premier League, so almost like I went to a lot of their games, so I started supporting them, and then now I'm older and I'm around it. So um, Fulham's obviously my team I support now. Don't really support United as much now, um, but growing up, yeah, definitely as a huge, huge Man United fan. Cool. Uh, obviously, that's a bit of a segue into my uh, next question, and it's just about your your love for the game. Where did it all start? You've obviously spoken about your brothers and your dad already. Is that sort of where you, you fell in love with the game back in Sydney? Yeah. Um, I was always go- I was always going to... My older brother played growing up as well, and my dad did as well. So I was always going to their games. Um, then my dad was coaching my brother's team one time and just put me in, and I've obviously always played from there. So I've, I was, I've always been around it. Um, my family's a big um, football footballing family so it's just always been there for me did you ever have any heroes or people that you looked up to in the footballing world obviously you did support manchester united is there anyone that you really idolized and tried to i guess replicate their game um yeah so growing up it was always rooney <clears throat> rooney and um iniesta they were my two um people i looked up to the most um Obviously, being a Man United fan, and then Iniesta because I'm I'm quite a small player, and then he's yep. always been one of the small technical players. So then those two are my two idols growing up, and then obviously now um, it's Kevin De Bruyne. Um, of so yeah, it's changed quite a bit, but. Um, this might be a really strange and bad question, but I'll ask it anyway. Do, growing up, when you go through the academies and you know learning your craft, are you encouraged to look at guys like Iniesta and copy their their style, or are you encouraged to sort of bring your own bring your own style to it? Um, I think a bit of both. Um, you always you obviously um, I was always encouraged to look at Iniesta because of obviously I told you like my height, um, the position I played. So they want you to look at 
players like that, but I guess they don't want you trying to like be exactly like them. Um, I guess just like the basic pr- principles of how they play, how they move, you'd want to implement your game, but not like you need to be your own player as well at the same time. So mm-hmm. um, it's just a mixture of both, I think. Um, so I guess that's a good good little segue in as well. So you made your big move over to the UK when you, if correct me if I'm wrong, 13 uh, when you signed with Fulham. Um, and it was, it was a big decision for your family. Obviously, they went over with you as well and they've been there ever since. Can you sort of talk us through the whole process of, of being approached by Fulham and then making the decision to sort of relocate overseas and pursue um, football as a career from such a young age? Yeah, so it started, it happened pretty crazy. Um, I it started the initial um, interest started when I was on holiday in London in 2013. Um, my cousin who lives in London, he um, he knows someone that works at Fulham, so I went for like mm-hmm. a just a three day like training camp. Um, and then one of the coaches saw me there, and then he said, "If you if you're ever in London again, um, we'd offer you an initial trial." Mm-hmm. So we, my parents like bit the bullet and we came over a few months later had a trial um then after i think it was two weeks they said yeah we would like to sign him then we moved back to australia for about four months four to six months and then just literally packed sold the house not sold the house um rented the house out packed our stuff and left so at a young age i guess i didn't I didn't really, really realize how much of a big move it was. Um, I just knew I was coming for football, and I've obviously loved football and growing up playing it. So it was an easy decision for me. But I can imagine for my parents, it must have been very hard, um, especially like leaving the friends, family, coming to a place where like no one's really lived before. So yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. Um. Do you, in Australia before you left? Obviously, I assume you played at a high level. Would you say that, like, it's where, you know, not going to beat around the bush here. The the football here in Australia is nowhere near the quality of England. What would you say from a young age, from, you know, when you're 10 years old or roundabouts, are there key differences between Australia and England from there or is it the way the talent's harnessed from there? I think so, yeah. The biggest difference I found was, like, the intensity. Um I feel like Australians, like even me when I was younger, technically, I don't, I never found it to be a problem. It was just like the intensity and like um, they're very like ruthless over here. So like even if you're a kid, they'll they'll tell you how it is. Um, the games are so competitive. Um, just from I think it's like from a young age, everyone here wants to be the best and they want to win. So that's the biggest difference at or well, the shock I experienced when I come in here. Just like. The massive intensity difference. Yeah. Um. So do do you think that the Australian system, or, or, like obviously in terms of the world game, and you look where the Australian um, national sport is in terms of football compared to European, it's just so far apart. How do you think the gap can sort of be bridged um, from an from an academy base level to sort of equate or, or try and get to the level of European academies? Um. So I don't really know how. I haven't been back to Australia in a while, but here, like every Premier League team have have an academy. So, like in mm-hmm. every even every Championship, they have an academy. So, it's like there's always competition. Um, whereas in Australia, like when I was there, there was never 
a Sydney FC academy. There was never a Wanderers academy. Um, yeah. So I feel like just from a young age, just like getting them into that competitive mode. Because um, football at the end of the day, it's about winning. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I feel to bridge the gap even a little bit, I think that's what um, I'd say would need to happen. Just from a young age, getting them competitive um, mm-hmm. into professional environments. Because here, from under six, they're in, they're training at the same place as the first team. So they're always cool. in and around it. They can see them training. They can um, get... Learn their habits, yeah. Exactly. See how they are off the pitch. So, um, yeah, that's my opinion. Cool. Um, well, Nick's going to uh, kill me for asking this midway through a serious point in the conversation. <laughs> but I was just wondering, or just like sort of hit me, you said you came across or went to England when you were 13. How long did it take to build up the accent that you have? Because I'm guessing you weren't born with it. <laughs> you're, you're an idiot. Why did you say that? <laughs> uh, I'd say about two, two, three years. Cool. That's how long I need to get head over there for then. Man, that's I horrible to... journalism. Fire <laughs> out, Damon. What are you doing? <laughs> uh, if, we, if we're sticking to horrible journalism, we'll keep going. Actually, we got word that um, for your Ollie Roos initiation song, you had, to, you had to put up some sort of English rap in front of the Ollie Roos group. How was that? Uh, I was encouraged to put um, Stormzy, shut up. <laughs> it's an easy song, actually, to be fair. It's an easy song. Um, but yeah, no, I was a laughing stock for a bit. But no, that's pretty funny. That's pretty funny. Um, <laughs> so you've been part of the academy system at Fulham since you were 13. And obviously, you've been involved in Ollie Roo squads, training camps and whatnot. But looking at Fulham, I guess, and your career thus far, what's what's the environment at Fulham like? Uh, no, it's very, especially now. Um we're in a playoff race um, to get back to the Premier mm-hmm. League, so it's like it's a it's like a it's like a winning it's like they got a winning mentality at the moment. Um, Scott Parker's brought to the club like a real togetherness, I think, and and like ever like there's banter flying around. Um, everyone's enjoying their football. The team's winning, so um, it's a good environment to be a part of um, mm-hmm. right now. Well, it must be a very good environment because you must be flourishing in it because you made your debut against Southampton this season in the Carabao Cup. What? Well, I mean, I'll just keep it open. What was that like? How did it feel? No, yeah, that was that's that was very surreal. Um, that is everything you've almost dreamed of, and I worked towards that. Um, and for it to finally happen was just like, just like wow. Those minutes, I think, it came on 10, 12 minutes. We just went so quick. Um, but yeah, the experience was the experience was was crazy. Um, playing, especially playing against like Southampton as well, a Premier League team. Um, mm-hmm. And the game wasn't really over either. So the manager just said to me, "Just try, try one, try, try score a goal, be a hero." Um, so you know, that was a good confidence boost. But yeah, it was a good moment. Um, my family were there as well, so uh, they were quite proud. Cool. Uh, is did you notice a, a massive, you know, lift in standard and intensity as you mentioned earlier? Um, yeah, you just, I feel like at that level it's more about um, decision making. So you got mm. the pitches are so big, so you got a bit of time on the ball. Um, obviously, depending on what team you play against, but it's just about the right making the right decisions at the right time. 
Um, so yeah, that was a difference I found. Um, last year, you won the the Johnny Haynes Academy Player of the Year award from Fulham. Um, and obviously being voted by your peers and the academy staff would have been a huge honour. Um, do you have that trophy at home? Or does it sit in a special place or anything? Or uh, um, No, it's actually in the academy um, classroom <laughs> at, at the club. Um, so I'm waiting. That's I, I, will take, I will take it home. Um, they said they'll <laughs> give it to me. Um, but yeah, it's just about when now. So so wait and get that actually. Yeah, fair enough. Um, and then as well, I guess... There are, you've had a few articles written about you um, from the Socceroos and a few different Australian websites as well. Um, and like we've seen consistently that you've actually been linked with some of the huge teams like Valencia, Celtic and, and Palace. Um, of course, all huge European teams um, in their own respect. Did you is, is that just rumour or, or what's it like when a big team comes and inquires about you um, to your, um, I guess, your manager or your, your team or, or through your agent or whatever? What, what's sort of that process and what's the feeling that goes um, through you as well when you get a link like that? Uh, um, it's obviously a huge confidence boost. booster, um, But... Uh, is a lot of, there's a lot of there's a lot of rumors a lot of talks um so i guess you can't pay too much attention to it otherwise especially like your parent club they will get annoyed as well so i guess you just got to play mm. your football um take it take it as a confidence boost that people do want you um but yeah you, you, i don't think you can pay too much attention to it um until until it's almost um confirmed or um yeah Hundred percent. Cool. Um. Obviously, you're at Fulham now, but no football being played. Once football does return, uh, from this, you're on the pitch six to twelve months from now. What What's the What's the What's the objective for you, both individually and as a team? Um. So individually, it's to confirm my um place in that first team. Um. At the moment, I'm in and around it, but I think to try and get um an actual place in there and play play more games with them. That's my individual. But then also the team is obviously to get promoted and stay in the Premier League um, next season as well. Um, and then also internationalised Australia meant to be in the Olympics. 23 is meant to be in the Olympics this summer. It's obviously been postponed mm-hmm. to next summer. So um, get try to get in that team and um, represent the country over there. So... Those are my two personal targets at the moment. Perfect. Um, I guess looking at your position on the field, obviously uh, p- position on the on the pitch. Sorry, obviously you're a midfielder, but you have played, you know, through defensive midfield, and at times some games during, um, you know, under twenty threes, you do push forward a little bit as well. Where do you see yourself sort of developing as a player in the future? Is it more of a central midfield or attacking defensive? What sort of what sort of area do you think you um, you specialize in, and what do you see your career, um, you know, I guess spanning in in what position? Um, so more of a center mid, um, center attacking mid. Um, mm-hmm. I do I do prefer those two, but at the same time, I don't I don't mind playing as a center defensive mid as well because. I do get a lot of the border. So I think anywhere across the midfield, um, I'm happy to play in. But obviously, um, the closer you are to goal, the more likely you are to score. So I do I do like playing as a, an attacking midfield as well. But yeah, no. 
just I don't I, I don't mind playing um, defensive midfield if I was asked to play there. Cool. Um, just referring back to John Idell from a couple of weeks ago, he brought up a really interesting point about how uh, in the in your club team, you sort of know who you're competing for, uh, competing against for positions. But in the international team, sort of players can come from nowhere, and suddenly instead of competing against one or two, you can be competing against three or four. Um, what is that sort of something that you keep in mind? And do you know the players at, in your in your team or even in the first team that you need to pl- essentially play better than in yeah at Fulham and also in the Oli Roos squad? Yeah, um, especially at Fulham. I, I know who I'm competing against, but it's not—it's nothing nasty. It's always healthy competition, um, and they're obviously a lot older than me, so it's—they—they um, they do give tips and they do help me out as well. So um, I guess that's just how it is. And then Oli Roos, not so much because I've only been to one camp um, because of my injury. So I, I know—I know the players at the camp, but there was obviously another camp in Australia, which I don't know the players. So. Um, I don't really know who's who I'm competing against um, over the whole of the Oliver selection. Can you just talk us through your injury? Obviously, you're out um, for a little bit of time as well. Can you just talk us through, um, you know, your injury that you had, and then also what the recovery was like, um, both for Fulham and I guess on an individual basis as well. Um, so yeah, it was it was literally a week after the I came back from the Oliver's camp. Um, I was in a game. I was playing against Aston Villa at Villa Park, and it was just it was just, it was just a bad tackle. I was on the wrong side of a bad tackle, um, and then my ankle. I had done four ligaments in my ankle, and I just avoided um, surgery. So obviously, it was it was a hard time initially um, when it first happened because. I was I was I just come back from international. I'm, I'm getting closer to the first team, um, and then all of a sudden I'm back almost at square one. Um, so it was hard to process for the first week or two, and I, I was on crutches as well for a good five weeks. So mm-hmm. um, those those times were hard because you're almost you're relying and dependent on so many people to do different things for you. Um, but my parents and my family were, were very good at that time for me. And the um, rehab, it, it is better because you're starting to do some physical work um, and you can feel the improvements um, towards the injured area. And then obviously it's getting back to the fitness, which I found quite hard and getting back to match match intensity, match pace, um, and then trying to fight for your spot again. So it, it's, it's a long process, but... Um, you can't dwell on the negatives too much, otherwise um, it puts you in a bad state. So I try to stay positive as much as possible um, and yep. just work hard. I know you sort of you sort of answered this a little bit um, just then, but I guess with every player, it's a little bit different when they go through an injury because obviously every every injury is different. But do you feel as if it's harder to to get yourself um, in a in a healthy mental state to to go through an injury, or is it harder to get through the actual physical battle of it? Um, no, I've, it's mostly the mental, the mental um, state is the hardest bit. Um, coming to terms that it's, you've got like four months ahead or however long your injury is, you're not going to be out on a pitch um, for a good four, four or five months. So it's, I've once, I feel like once you go over the mental barrier, um, 
the physical physical bit it is hard but it's it's obviously enjoyable because you can feel yourself getting getting fitter getting stronger um so yeah um i just wanted to touch on tokyo 2021 now again um is obviously now COVID-19 coronavirus, it puts everything, the whole footballing world and the whole world on its head. Do you have now, obviously once football goes back, a plan to sort of make yourself uh, more known and lock yourself into that posi- into that squad? Yeah, um, it's it's more more of a case, um, I think, playing consistently well for the club in a first team. Um, but yeah, in the championship or going on loan somewhere so my target is yeah is to play consistently well at a first team somewhere which will hopefully um lock in my place for the tokyo um olympics but also i'm sure there'll be camps um around europe as well so if i do get a chance to go to one of those um just playing well playing well for the um holy roots as well so cool sweet so i think i guess with every um, interview that we do, we try and ask a few quirky questions as well, um, just just to get a bit of insight into into yourself. So, uh, first one um, out of out of the Premier League, can you can you give us a, your five aside team that includes um, a, a goalkeeper as well? So, who would you pick for a Premier League five aside team? Um, so, goalie would be David De Gea. Yep. Um, nice. Centre back Van Dijk. Yep. yep. Pogba, De Bruyne. That's four. Five, that's four. Um, up top, I'd pick, I think, Firmino. Firmino? Oh, nice. Yeah. That's, that's a good one. one. Uh, that's, something, that's someone we definitely haven't had. That is, I think although, we... that is probably the most expensive five-a-side anyone <laughs> has given us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that's the first time we've had De Bruyne and first time we've had Firmino. So it's always good then when our guests give us new players and Woody does the graphics on the Instagram. So it makes him you know, have to work harder during the week and put those together. So I enjoyed that. Alrighty. Uh, next quirky question. Uh, I like this one a lot. If you had to sit or if you had the opportunity to sit down for dinner one-on-one with any current Premier League player, who would it be? And why? You got about a three hour conversation. Who would it be and why? Um probably three hour conversation with a Premier League footballer. I'd probably pick um who's there? Maybe probably De De Bruyne again, just because um at the moment I look up to him and look up to how he plays. Um so I try to pick his brain um, with certain moves he does, certain skills, how he how he decides where to pass it, and all this. Mm. Where, where would you go with him if if it was a date? Like, <laughs> like not in like a weird way, but like if you had to choose somewhere. Yeah, Nando. Did you say Nando's? Yeah, Nando's. You can't yeah. Nando's over here. <laughs> yeah, <that's good. laughs> I like it. Uh, uh, this this next question we have is one that we uh, debuted with John Iredale a couple of weeks ago and I I really like this one as well who is the most famous person you have in your phone contacts book my phone contacts Um, famous probably um, 
Who do I have? Obviously, the, the manager, Scott Parker, is quite well known. Um, mm-hmm. Then I've got like, I know I'm good friends with um, Jogba's son. He's quite well known over here. Um, uh, Mourinho's son, he's quite well known over here. So I probably heard of them three. I don't know. Were you mates with Ryan Sessignon before he moved to um before he moved to Tottenham? Yeah, yeah. I'm actually to be fair, Ryan's a good one. Um, yeah, I'm close to them. He's got a twin brother, um, so I'm close to them too. They they literally yeah. live around the corner from where I live here, and then we went to school together. So, oh, very very cool. Alrighty, thank you very much, Ty, for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Um, hope the rest of the season treats you well, and I hope, well, I guess, when it starts, um, and I hope isolation treats you well as well. Yes, thank you for having me, guys. Thanks, Ty. Cheers, mate. Cheers. Woodrow, I tell you what, mate. the The interviews are actually insanely like eye opening, purely because of the different perspectives we get. So, one of the most interesting interesting things I reckon that came out of that interview, people listening might disagree with me, but I thought, you know how uh, Tyrese just spoke about the intensity levels being different mm-hmm. and, and like from Australia or being uh, English or even the different levels in England. That was so interesting because last time we spoke to John Idale, he spoke about the difference in the way they try to develop players, like whether it be team-based or individual-based. And it's so cool that we get to interview multiple players and have multiple perspectives on the development and, you know, the increased performance of players. Does that make sense? Like we ask, we ask, let's be honest, we're not beating around the bush here. We ask pretty similar questions to John and I found at times got completely different answers. So like it's, that's why, even though we try to ask different questions to every guest, sometimes it's worth doubling up on questions and I'm not just talking about the quirky ones, but the actual hard-hitting Juno stuff because then we get different different perspectives and it's actually like just as interesting as asking different questions. Oh, look, I'm not going to lie, Damo. The hard-hitting Juno stuff you probably avoided you during that. You did ask some pretty trash <laughs> questions, I'm not going to lie. Um, but yeah, I think it was really interesting because I think one of the key differences between Ty and John was that John, um, he went through the system until he was like 16, 17, whereas Ty left when he was 13. So he probably saw... Um, a, a much younger development in that sense, um, being exposed to European football or English football or in English academies earlier on compared to John, who sort of went through his his mid teen, mid to late teens in the Australian system. So I guess that's probably the key, one of the key differences. And it was really interesting to see the flip side, I guess, on um, how, I guess, uh, uh, UK and, and English academies compare to Australian academies when you're going through that 13 to probably 16, 17, 18 range. Mm, for sure. And one thing also, Woodrow, it's really uh, probably something that we'll get better at, but we talk between you and I right now, easily confident, but I must say when those guests come on, I tighten up. Oh, I still get so <laughs> nervous and I reckon I'm going to get, I reckon we could interview a hundred players, a hundred people and I still <laughs> tighten up. I, yeah, you probably listen back to this in a couple of years and think, gee whiz. <laughs> All right, about this. We've got a guest coming on in a couple of weeks, and I reckon the first thing I'm going to say to him is, hey, mate, Damo's pretty tight right now. <laughs> <laughs> mate, I'm serious. Like, you cannot tell me that you don't somewhat feel the same. You- I mean, you're pissing yourself here, but 
Come on, mate. Yeah, it's a different tone of laugh when a professional <laughs> is, is in the conversation as well. Mate, you cannot tell me that we're going to get on air and have to say, international superstar man, please, Damo, just letting you know, is pretty tight right now behind his <laughs> mic. <laughs> mate, maybe if we got Cesc Fabregas on, I'd loosen up a little oh, bit. But up. until then... Oh, Until sense. then, I need to work on my uh, work on my interviewing skills. But has I think he, we're doing all right. Has it, he responded? No, he still has not responded. And mm. and my quest to get Julia Roberts on the nightclub still hasn't uh, done. You know, no further developments on that. But I promise I'll keep keep everybody updated. But yeah, Woody, as you slightly mentioned just before, we do have a third Aussies uncovered coming in due course, but this time from a different nation. Mm, he's actually heralding from our home country, Damo. I don't know why I said home country. We're still here. But it is Australia, and he is an A-League superstar, one of the best youngsters in the A-League at the current time. Um, we can't tell you his name yet, uh, and that that's not to say that we don't have him, but we do have him. He's lined up. Ready For legal go. reasons. For legal, legal reasons. reasons it's, it's, uh, it's a bit yeah, nah, until he actually says his first words on the nightclub. So. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. So we do have him coming on in a couple of weeks. And I think this one is interesting because we have said that Aussies Uncovered is looking at some of the best young Australian talent around the globe. However, it's not we haven't really looked too far into our own backyard in Australia as well. So to have a youngster uh, and a young superstar from Australia is probably a little bit of an Aussies Uncovered for those listeners that are overseas and to see what sort of talent that we have here in Australia in our wings. Yeah, it's also, Woody, in that interview just then with Ty, you are sort of asked him about transfer speculation and let's be really sort of dodged the question a little bit, which <laughs> yeah. was quite funny. But it's also going to be interesting to ask our next player that comes on whether they have any endeavor to go overseas because probably they don't, they probably won't want to answer the question, let's be honest. Because we want to, you know, keep Australian talent in Australia, but let's be real, in order to probably harness their talent and do well for the national team, we need them to go overseas. So it's a bit of a conundrum for Australian football at the moment, and I'm really interested to, to ask our next guest about that. Damo, uh, just before, um, you know, we sort of conclude the ep, I wanted to ask you one more question, because I've done a bit of mm-hmm. digging, and, and, and playing career mode has sort of sparked my imagination with with the realms of where the nightclub can go and obviously we aspire to own a club one day um yep that's a big thing for us and no doubt we'll get nightclub there. fc yeah nightclub, <laughs> nightclub fc and i sort of been looking because um you know the likes of inter miami have come in pretty recently and i just you know who and looking at the looking at the plays that are out of contract come june june 30 if you were the owner of nightclub fc who are you targeting as a veteran to kickstart your club and be the face of your club for the maiden season in the opening few years? Well, I mean, you got to look at it. There's, when you say who's going to be like the veteran player leading the leading the new generation, there's Tanganga there who I mentioned earlier in the earlier in the episode, and he's still pretty young. So like, it's going to be hard to attract him away from Tottenham. So I'm I mean, t- I'm talking, I'm talking like- post thirty, mate. Post 30. All right, post 30. All right, well, I'm going, look, oh, gee, was, you know what? Underrated, Christian Fuchs, because of the because of the, uh, the Premier League title, the Premier League medal around his neck. Because I look at these other players, Williams got one, uh, maybe Vertonghen hasn't got one. So you'd have to argue Fuchs is going to bring you more to the table 
Then Vertonghen, who have you got with drop? Mate, David Silva. How can you not go with David Silva? Oh, mate. Is, but the problem is his Manchester City connections. He's going to go to one of the city establishment clubs, whether it be the US or here yeah. down in Oz. It's too hard to attract him away. Oh, well, let's face it. He's not coming to Oz, but he's definitely... <laughs> oh, let's be real. No one's coming to Nightclub <laughs> FC. I could, you can see him probably going to the US teams, realistically. Um, but yeah. I think to have David Silva putting on the armband for you would be pretty elite. I'm not going to lie. You'd, you'd want him. I think Giroud maybe a little bit too slow. I know I, it's probably a bit of an insult that I say that. Um, but I think David <laughs> Silva in the engine room would be freaking immense. It'd be David Beckham at Galaxy sort of sort of areas, I reckon. For sure. All right, Woodrow. Um, I'm happy to wrap this one up. If they want to find us on the socials, where can they hit us up? You can find us at Premier League Nightclub on the gram. And Damo, where can you find us on the Twitter? On the Twitter, at PL Nightclub. Or, of course, on the Facebook. Just search us. You'll find us. Make sure you hit subscribe or hit follow on wherever you listen to us. That always helps us out. Of course, when we did John Idale, uh, we actually got a few more followers. So if you've if you've started the journey with us from that John on John Idale episode, hopefully you enjoyed this one just as much. Keep listening. Once football's back, I promise it's going to get even more unreal here at the nightclub. But until then, we're draw. I think I'm I think I'm off. All right, Damo. Just before we we do click stop. Um, I think one of the things that I'm actually most keen for is to have Sammy back on the nightclub come Mate, this next he's interview. Back. I forgot to mention this. He's probably going to, he's probably been pretty unhappy that he's waited till about the 50th something minute of the pod to get a mention that he's back <laughs> next, next episode. He's back. Yeah. He'd be keen to see what the big man has been up to. I'm not going to lie. Our communication has dwindled a little bit during this time, but I'm keen to have him back, keen to have him back on the airwaves. For sure, for sure. All right, Woody, I'm out of here. I'll catch you next week for another nightclub mini. If you haven't listened to the mini series, make sure you get on board. Woody, have a good one, mate. Cheers, mate. And thank you all for booking at the nightclub. See you next week. See ya. See ya.